You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome. We are live. We are here. The time that you've been waiting for for years and years has come. And it's Knowles 247 season preview roundtable where we get everybody together and have all their opinions. There's clearly nothing else going on at this exact time that you would care more about right now than sitting here with us and go through the season. We'll talk about what's happened in camp what we expect to happen and all the twists and turns along the way through our own version of the Garnet wedding. I am here with a complete F load of people and I will still give them their proper introductions. We've got Kevin little video guy. What up, Mark? How are you doing? We've got Brendan up at the top center extraordinaire. We've got Adam who is at the Superdome, I believe today. Doing a little early scouting. Yeah. He's a spy for LSU. Don't let him fool you. We've got the venerable Christopher Knee and all his bearded glory right there in the middle. Hey there, big guy. Brett Nevitt, how you doing, my friend? You look like a million bucks. And, of course, the young superstar, the young bull, Dane Draper. He of the alliterative name, Double D Dane. We're all here in the house. And, boys, are you excited for this? I hope you are. If not, I'm going to manufacture your excitement for you. But maybe you're actually really excited. Exactly. Cool. Okay. My job's going to be really hard. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> now, listen, just, to, just don't worry. I'll, I'll lead, I'll lead these through like, like a Sherpa up K2. I will lead you all to the promised land. Listen, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff tonight, a lot of different topics, some player focused, some unit focused, team focused, and a season focus. At the end, we will unveil Kevin, our win shares. Each of each one of us went in there, put our win shares in blindly did not see the end result, so I have no idea how many wins I'm expecting the team to have this year. I'm going to find out when you guys find out. But, Kevin, do we have everybody's win shares in there. And then are we going to do, like, an aggregate, like, 247, like, all of the win shares combined for, like, the official thing that yep. people are going to chastise us for months down the road? Hey, Scott, that's not a bad guess. Yeah, we have averages for each game, and then uh, those averages totaled for a, for a null 247 and aggregate, aggregate final total. Dane, Dane, Dane withstanding because he didn't submit the assignment. Yeah, he doesn't count. Dane so will get to you. That's okay. You're <laughs> you're a young upstart, and you got you're full of piss and vinegar. And I'm I'm gonna allow it. And you get to get you get to put your wind shares live on the air in front of everybody. Okay. So thank you everybody everybody that's tuned in on the Knowles 24/7 YouTube. Be sure to subscribe. Notifications on for the season. For you guys that are listening on the bench in your car in your cubicle doing yard work, I don't know, burying a body. Thank you. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> even you, even you serial body murderer people. Uh, we thank you all. So let's let's get let's get into it. I want to talk about I want to work my way out, like I said, player, team, and then season. So I, I want to think uh, I'll start with you, Adam. As far as like MVPs, is it is it pretty is it pretty obvious who we think the best players are going to be on both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball this year? Uh, and if so, who? Yeah, I mean, I think offensively, if he's healthy all year, it starts and stops with Jordan Travis, right? And I don't think there's another 
I don't think there's a whole lot of other directions to really go for offensive MVP unless you just really like guys that can snap the ball like Brendan does. Um, <laughs> Throwback. Defensively, though, I'm not I'm not so certain there's a there's one guy that I think you look to that's you're going to say that's your MVP. Um, I think you could go a number of different directions. I'm kind of curious to see where everybody goes. I think if I was projecting somebody today, though, I think my defensive MVP is probably Tatum Bethune. Interesting. Wow. Uh, what What do you think about that, Chris? Because I thought you were going to go Jamie Robinson, just as far as all the I different love, things I that he does. Jamie. I love Jamie, what? but I think I think Bethune, and I'm curious to hear what Chris says. But I think Bethune is a guy that's going to stop the ball and he's going to take some of those t- tackles away from Jamie. I do agree with AB's point on that. I think Tatum's kind of the glue guy for that entire defense. He makes the group as a whole better. I would go with Jamie Robinson. I think he's going to have a very well-rounded stat line. The wild card in this is, is there going to be an edge rusher or a guy up front who's going to rack up the stats that kind of steals the thunder. Everybody loves sacks. Everybody loves quarterback hurries. Those mm-hmm. are game-changing plays. Dane, what about you? Anybody on offense? Obviously, we know Jordan Travis is the most important player. Do you think there could be anybody on that side of the ball on the offensive side that might actually end up being the best player? I think it's all consensus. Jordan Travis is the most important Team's going to go how the team's going to go. But are there any guys other on the offensive side of the ball that really caught your eye during camp season? I think ideally it could be probably Trey Benson as far as making the biggest impact. Um, maybe he's easier to replace than others. Uh, you don't have a body like that in your running back room, but it's you have a good stable of backs. Another guy could be, if he reaches the ceiling, Johnny Wilson. Okay. I, I wouldn't expect that, I guess, but he could be that if he reaches the ceiling. He could be a – a very key contributor, I guess, and a difference maker. And it's funny because we're talking about like a lot of newcomers. There's a whole bunch of new faces that have been, you know, injected into the team this season. Brett, you've been out there. You've seen the guys. Who do you think is going to be the most impactful newcomer for Florida State this year, whether it's a transfer, whether it's a true freshman? Who have you seen out there on the field? Because you've, you've seen these guys practice for a couple years now. Like who's out there that's like, oh, that guy looks different than teams of the past? Yeah, well, I actually, I was going to have Tatum Bethune be my defensive MVP. Oh, Adam, still your thunder, that bald <laughs> devil up there. I guess I'll go that route with most impactful transfer just because, like Chris said, I feel like he completely changes their whole defense and what they've looked like in the middle of the field the last few years. And I don't think they've had an, a linebacker like this in a while. So um, I just think he makes the most impact and, and changes this team more than anyone else. Kevin, what about you? You're in the film. You live in the film. Your life is film. Who have you seen that's hopped out on you on the film? Yeah, I think when you're answering this question, do you look at um, they don't really do this for college football, but for for most other major sports, there's the wins above replacement stat, right? So uh, you look at the places on the roster where there were deficiencies and who, what kind of, what player stands above those. So that's where Jordan Travis comes in, right? He his wins above his replacement is clear. Uh, then I th- think you look at Tatum Bethune. Uh, the linebackers were a liability last season. He's a dramatic step up over that, so so he has a high wins above replacement. And I think potentially Johnny Wilson. Um, Dane said it earlier. You've got a g- guy that's six foot seven can run like like a wide receiver and block like a tight end. I think he's a guy that if he lives up to his potential, he takes that wide receiver room that honestly was one of the worst in the Power Five last season. And he alone stands above Um, whether or not he'll get there this season, next season or ever is still up for debate. But I think he's the kind of guy you watch for. And as he goes, potentially the offense could go with him. 
A lot of newcomers on the offensive line. Chris, Adam, Brendan, anybody else you feel like we're missing that has been like maybe a guy that surprised you as far as like a new face on the team that really kind of changes the dynamic? Or do you think we pretty much covered it with all the people that our three colleagues talked about? I don't think from an MVP standpoint, there's anybody on the O-line that or like a most impactful newcomer standpoint as well. Well, I think bless Harris is a big piece. One, he's kind of exceeded the expectations for most, including myself. Uh, I think he's kind of helped solidify some things. It allows other guys like a turn team, for example, to potentially be like a swing lineman, which makes him much better from a depth standpoint. Uh, I just think he's kind of one of those, kind of like Tatum Bethune on defense, where it's a piece falling in place, making a whole lot of things a lot better. I think Bless Harris, to some degree, is a piece on the offensive side of all that. It's helped a lot in that regard. Okay. Brandon and Adam, you guys largely agree. I, I, I do agree, especially Bless Harris, which is interesting. Him coming from Lamar University, that level of football, that, that athleticism that he, that he had really did translate a lot better than I think some people even expected. So I think that's been a nice surprise. What about you two guys up top? I think defensively, we'll see what, kind of, what the impact is early. I do think you're going to see uh, quite a bit of AZ Thomas as the season goes on. I don't know if we're going to see a lot of it early. But I think he'll make his presence known. So as you know, impactful newcomer, I mean, it's not a transfer, but it is a newcomer as far as the recruiting uh, class goes. Right. I think he's a guy that may make an impact as the season goes on. Um, outside of that, you know, I mean, I, I echo what Chris said about Plus Harris. He was a guy that I – there was a lot of projection there. I like the athleticism when he was coming over. I'm happy to hear that he's kind of seized that job. Um, potentially, we'll see when the depth chart comes out tomorrow, but the, that he's potentially seized that job at right tackle. I think that he's the first true offensive tackle body they've had in a while. And I'm not saying that he's going to be some elite player, but I do think he's going to be pretty solid there. And it's nice to know that they've gotten an offensive tackle. But <laughs> He looks like what he's supposed to look yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. You can say he's an offensive tackle, like body wise, description wise, and then his play hopefully will be the same. Now, listen, and we're not going to know this, but I have noticed nothing but just glowing positive reviews for all these transfers. Brendan, how many we're not going to know this answer really until the end of the season. But at this point, how many of this 2022 transfer class do you think were hits and how many were misses? Uh, in terms Is of there just- a miss yet? I'm interested because I haven't heard anything really too negative. All the guys that are coming in have either surpassed their expectations or like a Justin Turner team where it's like he's kind of coming in at least the level we thought he was going to come at. Yeah, I mean, the two who may not make an impact are ones who are dealing with injuries, and that's Caden Lyles, who's out for the season, mm. and and Winston Wright, whose uh, timeline is, is still TBD right now. Uh, so it's not really fair to count those guys, but those are the two right now who I think you immediately scratch off the sure, list, for right? Sure, for sure, yeah. Uh, but kind of working then from the bottom of uh, projected expectation, I think Malik Feaster's still also kind of TBD. He's a really late addition, someone that you could take a flyer on because you had the, the scholarship to burn for the Jacksonville State cornerback. Uh, and he looks okay at practice. Uh, it'll just going to take a little while for him to get his feet wet. He joins so late in the camp, so he's going to be harder to tell. But almost everyone else, Trey, I think, uh, in terms of transfers, is going to at least be on the two deep. Someone like Greedy Vance is someone who will will probably push to to play starting caliber reps at some point in the season. Uh, but he'll probably be a backup. Same with Jason Turnitin. And then everyone else is probably, probably starting. Uh, Jared Verse is going to be someone who's going to be in contention to be defensive MVP along with Tatum Bethune. I mean, those two guys are probably going to be racking up a lot of stats. Uh, let's see who else on defense. Is there anyone else I'm, I'm missing in terms of transfers? Um, most of them are on the off- offensive line. Bless Harris. Them all, yeah. Well, let's you see. mentioned Bl- Vance. 
Yeah, Grady Vance uh, will be solid. Uh, but he's then turned the, it up at the end of this camp, hasn't he? Because he? he was kind of an afterthought, and then it, t- it it seems like that other that other cornerback uh, outside of Duke Cooper started to become a very interesting race. So we'll we'll talk about that. When we talk about the units, but yeah, it looks like Vance. What do you th- what do you think that is? Comfort or what? What do you think has led to him kind of ascending a little bit? Yeah, I think part of that just availability and practicing consistently uh, is is helpful ah. in that regard. And and someone who is getting comfortable, you know, they've bounced him around between both nickel and the outside corner spot. Uh, something that they talked about even in the preseason doing and even in the spring. And that's still kind of his his role. But just someone who's getting comfortable, like you said, Trey, with with the scheme. I've noticed like he communicates at a really high level, uh, probably as well as any cornerback on the roster, which is impressive given that he's only been on campus for four or five months. So. Uh, they like that he's someone who's battle tested, who started, and, and is pretty, pretty. He, he doesn't have the the highest like physical tools, so he has to make up for it in other ways. And I think that shows the way he communicates and the way he plays with a lot of energy and grittiness. Uh, so yeah, scrappy, I, I like gritty, yeah, gritty so. scrappy, absolutely fantastic. Let's jam them all in. Trey, Trey, we we've, we've talked yeah, about offensive de- we've talked about the offensive defensive MVPs, but what about special teams? I think it's an opportunity to talk about two. Transfers that I don't know if we've mentioned yet. Go ahead, um, yeah. I'd be curious what Chris and Brendan and Brett and Dane think. Who's the special teams MVP? Is it Ryan Fitzgerald because the kicker always gets it? Is it Micah Pittman? Is it Deuce Span? Maybe as returners. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think Pittman. Uh, FSU's just been so abysmal at punt returns and kick returns here for the last several years. Talk about a war, most of the yeah. last decade. I think he's going to make a massive difference, and it's catching the ball, advancing the ball doing everything right in that regard. I think he certainly will help in punt returns. I think he'll get an opportunity in kick returns. He's in a mix with a few guys there, including other transfers like Trey Benson, Deuce Span. And then freshman Sam McCall has a shot of maybe making a mark as a kick returner or punt returner. I think that might be the area where he makes his greatest uh, first dent for this football team, barring some injuries in the secondary, pushing him up the depth chart there potentially. Brett and Dan, you guys agree with that as far as what you've seen from the special team side of the ball? Yeah, and I think I was gonna add just I, they they have real impactful athletes return kickoffs too. Like if if Benson or or Deuce Span ever find a lane, like you feel like those guys are gonna take it to the house and with any any little lane that they get. Dane, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I think Pittman has to be the answer here, especially with how like punt returners in recent history performed at Florida State, right? Disgusting, but, um, Dane. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but DJ Lundy, as far as guys that aren't having the ball in their hands, I see him like every practice. I feel like coaches are applauding him, praising him on special teams as far as covering um, on kickoff and I think even punt return. So, I mean, he should be one of your better guys out there. I guess. But uh, I, I like that. Yeah, That's a like deep cut a special team MVP that might not even touch the ball whatsoever. I like that. If, Kevin. If, we're go- if we're going, well, if we're going deep cuts for special teams, Wyatt Rector, anyone? <laughs> Oh God! Somebody Never. cut his feed. Somebody cut the feed. Anyway, Kevin, Homer got a Homer. Yeah, you can't stop. <laughs> it's in your blood. Ska music and loving that kid is in your blood. You know, I respect it at least. Kevin, we are in a very, we are in a very optimistic point of the season. There's all these kings of the spring that like emanate forth. Like this guy, like really expect big things out. And some of those guys translate to on the field during the regular season, and some of them never show up again. Kevin, you've seen the tape. Which of these guys that's having a good spring, do you feel confident that it's going to translate? And who's the guy that had a really good spring in your opinion? It's like, dude, I watched all the film of you last year. You're still going to have to prove it to me. Yeah, I think I think the biggest question mark uh, for me is the 
in terms of transfers is the offensive line. So um, just in the sense of like, okay, bless Harris, um, Justin Turnatine, uh, these guys, Dimitri, um, can they, Emmanuel, yeah. Emmanuel, um, Emmanuel, can they yeah. step up at the next level? Um, can they, do they have the strength? Do they have the, does it translate to uh, the power five level? Because that's, that's kind of a position where, um, you know, straight one-on-one athleticism doesn't, doesn't quite transfer over like, like a defensive end. You can tell a defensive end, right? He's six foot five. He's got a good first step, but offensive line is a, a position that takes years of growth, years of development. And um, so to, to plug and play these guys, it, it's kind of up for debate for me. Um, but I, I think the person, I think like we've said before, if there's one person that I think is, is a out of the park home run, I think it's uh, Tatum Bethune. I think he's just a guy that, you know what he is. He's a very consistent linebacker. You have tape of him playing power five games against teams you've lost to um, and playing good games. He knows where to be. He, uh, yeah, he's just got, he's a high awareness guy, very, very low or very high ceiling, very high floor guy. And uh, I think he's uh, the the cornerstone of your, your linebacker group. Kevin, say, say hello to your dog behind you. He really wants Murph, you to play. Murph House or Duck right now. Yeah, just say what's yeah. up. Uh, say what's up yeah. to your pop, man. Say what's up to the pop. That's a good boy. Uh, very good boy. <laughs> you guys agree with that? Like, as far as, like, I mean, who who do you think, like, hey, he had a good spring. He's going to have a good season. Who's a guy that needs to prove it a little bit on the field, no matter how good he looked in camp? Anybody come to I, mind I, for you guys? I, I got the ultimate, like, need to see it to believe it. And this is someone who I've uh, been optimistic on. Uh, I've been burnt before. Uh, I know what you're you saying, know, kid. Go ahead. Going, sticking with the J, the J from no last Jays. time. Yeah, hit him uh, up. Yeah, so Jerry and Jones has been really good in preseason camp. I anticipate him being someone who's either going to push to start at one of two spots or even potentially start. And I can just feel – I don't have the comment section open right now, probably for the best. Uh, I can just – I can sense the vitriol and anger L's right in now. the chat. L's in the chat. <laughs> um and, and hey, like he was not I – mean, the numbers are what they were. I think he had one interception in the UNC game to five touchdowns allowed last year. Like he, he statistically just was not very good. He was benched in favor of a freshman who played early. I, I won't believe it even when I see it, Rob Alvarez says. So I think that's even reasonable. Come on, uh, guys. Uh, but no, he has – Chris has seen it with his own two eyes as well. He has actually performed well consistently uh, throughout preseason camp, which is – I mean, it's legitimate. All right, Chris, legitimize what Brendan just said. And if so, what is the difference that would make it translate on the field to this year? Because the kid was brought here for a reason. He had some interesting physical tools. There were some questions about, I don't know whether it's technique, effort, health. I don't know where the, the play was just so up and down. Do you agree with Brendan? Is something different after this camp? He's had a good camp. I will reinforce Brendan's opinion on that. I am very much in the believe it when I see a category with regards to him. Uh, he just hasn't ever been, been very good in games consistently. Now, kid's got a massive chip, chip on his shoulder. He also has battled injuries throughout his time at FSU. You know, so we'll see. But it's one of those things, uh, you know, I don't want to judge that kid until we're three, four games into the year. And whether he's playing corner or he's playing nickel, just that the results are consistent, that we don't see the old-fashioned while he gets turned and burned that happened at times last year because – well, that's what he was. But the good news is that secondary has options. So if you do have to move on from him, you've got options. But he has put himself in the discussion for one of the two cornerback spots and that nickelback spot, which has been probably the most hotly contested spot in the secondary. 
Okay. I like that. I like you. I'm starting to believe a little bit. I, I can I feel myself being more optimistic. Adam, different topic. Who's a guy, in your opinion, that is the biggest candidate for, like, a jump during the season? Like, who's a guy who you could see, like, there could really be a nice elevation of his play from 2021 to 2022 based on everything we've heard from Cam? It's an interesting question. I'm going to go That's with Pokey Wilson. Okay. I'm going to go with Pokey Wilson uh, from the standpoint that I'm not sure his play is necessarily going to make some massive leap, but I think the pieces <laughs> around him are better that it's going to help him be more impactful. Game okay, game. I get he, that. I think he can finish sure. plays. Uh, I think his numbers can be better just because I do think teams are going to have to pay more attention to Johnny Wilson. I think they're going to have to be more honest with the run game. But I, I mean, they he does get open down the field and on some of those over routes and crossers, uh, I could see him taking a step forward numbers wise. I'm not saying game wise, but just numbers wise this year. Brett and Dane, what do you guys think? Any big jump candidates from last year to this year? I was going to say DJ Lundy. Yeah, yeah, the, for sure. The transformation he's made. And I mean, there were just a couple of times I was watching with Brendan at practice and we both go, he just flashed out of nowhere to the sideline. And it's kind of just shocking after what he looked like last year, I guess. But um, just he moves a lot more. Like he just looks more athletic now running side to side on the field. And I think that will help him a lot. The first name that I thought of was um, Derek McClendon. Uh, he's reshaped his body, and um, and I think he's got a ton of burst, and I think he can be he can be good against the pass and the run. I think he's a guy that can impress a lot of people, and he's not someone that people are used to thinking that way. I guess. And it's interesting because we've gone about we've gone about twenty twenty one minutes. We haven't really touched on the defensive line so far, which I think could be considered a strength of this team. So I'm interested to kind of expound upon that unit a little bit more. So I want to talk about units in general. So don't you so it's always got to be weird with you, Brendan. What do you mean, Central Florida people? You're always so not not East Coast, not 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 Brevard County. That's where like all the, the well, that, scholars. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely, gentlemen, nice guys. Uh, Cooth, absolutely. Manners, respect. You people, you people in Orange County. Anyway, so Brent, I'll, I'll direct this to you. When people describe Florida State in 2022, what are the strengths do you think that this team, like Mike Norvell had a team in 2022 that did this well? What's going to be the defining strengths of Florida State, whether it's aspects of the game, units of the football? I'm say unit again. <laughs> Groups of people that play together doing the same thing on the football. Like, what do you think? What are the strengths uh, of this team? The first two things that come to mind uh, on offense is going to be running the football. And I think it starts with Jordan Travis and, and his mobility and what he can do with the uh, the read option game, which we've seen the last couple of years. I mean, he, he's going to force defenses to respect that aspect of his game, which theoretically should open up things uh, for the running backs and Trey Benson, well-documented already on the show, previous episodes as well. It looks really good. Uh, but also Lawrence Tofilly has come on the last maybe 10 or so practices where he's starting to kind of live up to the sum of his hype that he didn't quite hit last year. And then obviously Trayshawn Ward, we, we know what he has. So I, I really like that that trio along with Jordan Travis. I think even though there's questions on the offensive line, it is a beefier group. And so the ability to get in the way and to move people out of the way exists. And then on the other side of the ball is Defensive tackle is a unit uh, that that stands out to me. Uh, Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper, two guys we didn't really mention in the MVP talk, 
Yeah, big unit. Defense. Huge unit. Yep. Big, huge, beefy units. Oh, yep, no, yep, hang absolutely. on. No, phrase, hang on. Take it back. Um, cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that. Mm. Uh, but Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper are really just the heart of the defense. <laughs> uh, both have been really good in preseason camp. They were good in spring as well. And they have a track record of, of being solid players last year as well. So it's just you kind of have an idea of what to expect with them. But the depth pieces as well, defensive tackle, Trey, are legitimately impressive. Uh, Jarrett okay. Jackson has been been good. Uh, Malcolm Ray, solid, but breakout candidate is Josh Farmer. He's been excellent in preseason camp. And and so, yeah, I feel really good about uh, ability to stop the run on defense with the defensive tackles and then run the ball on offense. Kevin, gun to your head, gun to your pretty little head. What's the best What's the best position group on the Florida State football Escalated team? Escalated quickly. Yeah, it, it does with me. Wild card. Uh, probably safety. Can I do that? Yes. Now, talk, we've talked a lot about Jamie Robinson. I want you to talk about, obviously, his partner, Akeem Dent, how they're going to be used. Chris doesn't like that answer. <laughs> oh, well, I'm intrigged. Papa, yeah. Papa Nee will get to rebut, but don't don't listen to him. He's very intimidating. You, you tell me about your answer. Why would you say safety? And kind of think about, as you're doing that, how they're going to be used this year as opposed to last year with this kind of the talent that's, that's there on this side of the ball this year. Well, you saw um, in the first half of the season, they were really trying to figure out the best place for Jamie Robinson. Um, he started at that nickel corner and did pretty well there, but um, it didn't feel like there was there was a, a a boundary safety that that was really holding their end of the bargain. And so, by the end of the year, they moved him to the boundary safety. I think he's just such a dynamic player. I think Akeem Dent um, is has stepped up, and I think those two are about as solid as a, as a safety group that uh, you'll ask for. I mean, I think Akeem Dent still is a, is a little bit of a question mark because um, a couple of years ago he, he wasn't having – it seemed like he was on the, on the short path to the, um, to the bench, but he's really stepped it up. Uh, I think that that one-two punch is going to be one of the better safety groups in the ACC this year. Um, the, the real answer is probably the defensive line, but um, – I think the safety group is, is not far behind. No, so I think I your first to... answer is the real answer. You waited for a little. <laughs> Jeremy Pope from Facebook agrees with you, Kevin. He thinks the entire secondary. Chris, why do you disagree with Kevin? Actually, I don't think Kevin's point is bad. I just think the D-line group is the, the best. Yours is better. Yeah. yeah, okay. I mean, <laughs> they have five, six interior guys who can start that are capable starters, very good football players. And then they got – three ends that are very high level players. I'm a huge Dennis Briggs guy. I think Briggs is a phenomenal football player. He's got inside outside versatility. He's strong. He's physical. He's excellent against the run. I think that group as a whole is going to be very good at stopping the run, especially with the linebacker group improved. And if you're able to get teams in the longer distances and downs, that's obviously a lower success rate. I think that will make them a better football team as a whole defensively. I think they just set the tone. I mean, we've talked a lot about front porch for two straight years here. I think it's a very, very good group, and I think the coaching staff feels it's their best group. Chris, if I could give you the ability to transfer the 2021 defensive line in its entirety for this year's team or take the 2022 unit, what do you Mm. take? I think I'd take last year just because Jermaine is such a known thing. Obviously, I think Verse is talented. I think Briggs is very good, and McClendon's definitely taking a step forward, but Jermaine was so productive last year, and you still have the same interior guys 
from last year to this year. I, I think I'd have to lean on last year, but I don't think there's going to be a massive drop off from what Jermaine did. I think it just might be a little bit more spread out among multiple individuals instead of one guy carrying such a load. Yeah. Adam, from a coach's perspective, obviously guy for guy, there, there's guys like Jermaine Johnson that are irreplaceable, but when you have a more balanced unit from the tackles out, like maybe the production spread out, does that unlock a little bit more ability from you from like a coach's standpoint to get more exotic with like blitz schemes or like, I, I guess I'm saying if the talent's a little bit more evenly distributed, since it's not so concentrated, does that give you the ability to be a little bit more multiple calling a defense or not really um uh, talent's talent i mean if you're look if you're more balanced across the line you, yes you can do more things but it also may mean that you can get more interior pressure which helps your 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 edge pressure um i thought at times last year they especially after briggs went down they were still able to get edge pressure but i thought they could have got more if they would have had better push on the inside i didn't think they were great rushing the passer last year once once briggs went out um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I think you're going to do what you're going to do. And if you've got talent, then it helps, um, you know, whether you're good on the interior, good on the exterior, that kind of stuff is more important. I think when it comes to stopping the run game, okay. um, I mean, teams are going to have to coach you coach against you differently because they're not going to be able to line up and just run five man run game at you or six man run game at you. They're going to have to do things. They're going to have to scheme against this to against this tackle group and, and against Briggs, in my opinion. Um, I didn't think they always had to do that last year. Uh, Jermaine was good. Kier was good, but I, I thought Jermaine got better as a year went on. I didn't think he was great against the run early, even though against Notre Dame, he made some flash plays. I thought he got better as a year went on last year. Um, so I think they're going to start out this year better against the run uh, than they were last year mainly because I do think the two interior guys are going to be even better than they were last year. Um, and I'm curious to see how Dennis does on the edge. Uh, you know, he's a bigger, bigger body. I do think he's his game and maybe Chris can speak to this. I do think his game is similar to Kier's um, to, in, in some regards, but I think that Briggs is a better pass rusher, a better pure pass rusher. I actually thought he was the best pure pass rusher on the team last year, even better than Jermaine. Um, he just wasn't as interesting. High, interesting. Why do you say that? An athlete as Jermaine was. What do you mean from like diversity of move set? What makes you say? No, that? I just think Jermaine was a better. Jermaine's a better athlete. I mean, Jermaine's obviously a top, you know, first, first round, round draft pick. Yeah. Athlete. I don't think Briggs' athleticism is quite that high, but I do think he's really quick off the ball, and I think he knows how to. I think he's got a plan when it comes to rushing the passer. Okay, I get that strategically. Now we've talked. Now, Chris, go ahead. I think Adam wanted you to kind of expound on some of the stuff he said. Well, I think an added point on that is that the defense is going to be improved because one, the secondary knows who and what they are, which was an issue for about half the season last year as they tried to figure it out. The other thing is your linebacker play is so much more consistent and so much more reliable that that allows less less uh, concern from the front of you know well, just clog it up. This year, if you open a hole, you can let a linebacker come down. You expect that to be done. Also, for the secondary, they're not playing with their eyes as much reading what linebackers are doing. They can rely on it's being executed the way it's supposed to be executed. I think that makes a group of 11 just better as a whole. There's not that that uh, massive weakness in the middle that had to be covered up at times last year or that they had to do different things, scheme it up to kind of hide those guys. You now have two reliable linebackers on the field, and you've actually got three or four guys that you can roll out at that position that you feel confident in. That that's a big old difference for them. So I think as a whole, the defense is going to see a step forward because it's a better eleven that all knows what they're doing. 
which last year took obviously some time for them to get there. Right. And I think to that point, you know, Trey, your, your initial question was, does having a more balanced front four allow you to do more things? Mm -hmm. I, I think having a more balanced 11 allows you to do more things. They've got linebackers now that they feel like can go and cover people. They haven't had that in a couple of years. No, um, they were very pigeonholed into doing specific things with the secondary because they didn't feel like they could cover anybody at linebacker. Now I think they feel like they can play a little bit of coverage with those linebackers. It allows you to be a little more aggressive. When when Fuller came here, he always talked about wanting to be offensive minded on defense. And I think he's got a group now that he probably can get to do that with. That's a good point. Um, now we talked a lot about strengths, Brett, you've been out there. You've seen, what are some areas of the team that kind of have you a little bit scared a little bit, give you the Sunday scaries, maybe some potential weaknesses that if Florida state doesn't have the season that we'll, that you will see if we're predicting it, you don't know yet. Cause you don't know our predictions yet. So you got to stay, don't go anywhere. But if there's a, if there's a reason why Florida state doesn't have the season that Mike Norvell would like to have, it would be X. What do you think that is? Uh, I mean, I think we could all agree that the tight end room is probably the, the worst position group as a whole, but I don't know if yeah. that will be the thing that we look back on if they were to have a bad season. I don't think the tight end room will make that big of an impact one way or another, but I don't know. I still think the, I think if Jordan was to go down and Tate was to have to go in the game and have to win a game for Florida state, that would worry me. That'd probably be a weakness in my mind. It's still yes. very yes. much. So we have to wait and see and, there's sometimes where I still don't think that that might ever come. The talent might ever be able to play under the lights. And I think another weakness for me might be field goal kicking maybe just because, I mean, Fitzgerald wasn't very consistent last year, especially from distance. And there were other times in, in camp this year where he wasn't super consistent in, in long field goals. And I think Florida State's going to be in a lot of close games. And yeah, for sure. Goals made in, in, in big situations, I think. I think that's a good point. Dane, what do you, Dane and Brendan, you guys kind of tag team up. You guys were out there every day. Are there some of the things that Brett's saying resonating? Any other areas of concern? I will say one thing that I want to talk about that has, I don't know if it's popped up, but people have been, it, people are getting some deja vu from last year. We thought that we had really, really good corners last year camp. Our wide receivers just sucked. A lot of people are thinking there may be some deja vu with our defensive tackles really that good. Or is it Brendan? It sounds like you disagree. So I want you two guys to give me your potential weaknesses, and then Brendan, I'll let you talk about if you like what you think of the interior of the offensive line of Florida State. Dane, you get to go first. Uh, age and beauty before Brendan. <laughs> um, well, I was gonna talk more about. Um, so, I guess it's the easy answer would be tight end room and just across the offensive side of the ball. It's just hear that, Brett. You took the easy way out. You coward. <laughs> <laughs> but but talking about the defense and how AB was you know saying how across the whole eleven you're more balanced you're you don't have a liability at linebacker that sort of thing I think if injuries were to occur on that side of the ball like a cornerback I think if if say Duke Cooper went down I think you're not nearly as confident in the rest of your cornerback room as you are in maybe other positions along the defense and that's how maybe that defense could struggle so yeah. If you're thinking about weaknesses in the defense, I think you don't necessarily like you don't have terrible depth at cornerback, but those aren't a ton of proven commodities like how a guy like Duke Cooper would be. And if he goes down, then, you know, 
I agree with you too. And I think that that, I mean, you can see that the proofs in the pudding there with just how much focus that Mike Norvell has put on defensive backs all throughout the, all throughout his tenure, they're recruiting in the transfer portal, all that sort of stuff. He doesn't think the room's there. And it's kind of a, it's a result of not recruiting at the level that Florida state is used to at defensive back. As far as holistically, like there's not, there's talent. There's definitely talent. It's just not enough talent to where if those guys go down, you could see some steady drop off. So I think that's very prescient. Brendan, what do you think, man? What do you think about Florida State's interior offensive line, my brother? What do you think? Uh, first off, kudos to Dane. That was a, I think, a really good point. Uh, the the cornerback group is sneaky thin. Uh, if right. There was, yeah. If there was an injury, I think we don't probably talk about that, including myself. Uh, uh, you know, on the board as a position group that that could potentially go rife if you know there's one key injury to but um i think the starting group will probably be solid but yeah as far as the interior offensive line but there there is legitimate reason for concern uh do you guys like players who can snap the ball i mean there when you start off the season with one of your key additions Caden lyles being lost for the season before he ever gets to play a game i mean that is that, that takes a hit to the to the depth immediately uh, Maurice Smith is someone we've been told by sources that we expect to, to potentially miss a little bit of time early in the season. We'll see exactly what that looks like, but I mean, that is something that FSU is going to have to, to deal with. So that's potentially one starter at center. And the guy who's probably going to be the other, you know, co-starter at center that you're talking about missing time. Uh, so right off the bat there, yeah, you're, you're kind of behind the, the eight ball a little bit. And and then with the other interior offensive line spot, like I think there is some, some hand ringing going on there where it's not quite as, not quite as dire as some are making it out to see. Like, okay, Dylan you, you Gibbons feel more comfortable with it then. Dylan Gibbons was the most consistent offensive lineman you had last season. He's back. Uh, like he he's he's fine. He's going to be solid. You know what you're going to get with Dylan Gibbons. I think Demetri Emanuel has been solid in preseason camp. He's someone that occasionally can hold up with Fabian Lovett in one on ones uh, and pass rush drills. Not many guys can can say they can do that. Uh, Demetri Emanuel is one of them. Uh, Darius Washington is someone that Mike Norvell has talked about playing guard, playing center. Obviously, they know what they can do at tackle. I think he's only going to get better with more experience inside. That's where FSU chooses to use him. Uh, so I, I think ultimately, like, the defensive line is really good. The interior defense line is good. Like, the comparison to the cornerback and the receivers last year, I don't find to be a good faith argument because the cornerbacks last season uh, certainly struggled the wide receivers were probably the worst wide receiver unit in the power five or one. Right. That was such an extreme. I mean, I guess right. nobody could have predicted that that unit would be that terrible. That I mean, it's one thing to, th yeah, I think that we, we were, we watched every single film of every game last year. I was surprised. I thought I was watching a snuff film at some point. I was surprised by the depravity. But God forbid I, I laugh at you. Some of those games were faces of death, my friend. It was it was absolutely terrible trying to watch those guys get open. The coaching staff had a rude awakening after Notre Dame for what they thought the wide receivers were going to be. Oh, I'm sure everything was recalibrated. I can't imagine. It made Jack Cohn look like, I don't know, Joe Montana. It was absolutely crazy. Here's the biggest difference with the receiver room today versus last year. They can win some one-on-ones. Yeah. They couldn't last year. That's uh, the other weakness the, potentially, Chris, is like sometimes they drop the ball though, right? Yeah, it's the, still like <laughs> I said it true. after that first Friday of camp, which was an excellent day. When the wide receivers for this football team are good, it's a pretty damn good football team. But that's got to be consistent. And it's been better as camp has progressed, but there are still days where – 
you know, guys struggle with it. Um, Johnny Wilson is a guy that we've talked about a lot about as being kind of an X factor, a guy that can really change the dynamics of this football team, especially in the passing game. That's when he's really good. And he's put some really good consistent days on top of one another as it's progressed, which is an excellent sign. But there's still a little concern because at times he just drops some. And that's not to pick on Johnny individually. He's just an excellent example because his good is really, really good. Right. And he really changes things. That room as a whole, when it's really good, this is a pretty good football team. But I'm not one that's one expected to be really good in 12 games. Hell, I'm not sure I'm expecting it to be really good in nine games. I'll take six or more, but I don't know about how often we're going to see it kind of be its optimal love, what it can be. Malik McClain had moments where he looked like a dude who's progressed, who's winning more things one-on-ones. Tron even had moments, but again, inconsistent. That's kind of been the overriding theme with Tron for most of his career here. Pokey is what Pokey is. We know who and what he can do. I think it helps Pokey that he may not have to be number one anymore. He's more like a number three. That allows a little bit more uh, breathing room for him, I guess, is a good way of putting it. But that room is still one where I'm not pushing the chips all the way in. It is certainly better, and it's capable of being pretty dang good, but it has to be more consistent. All right. Well, we've we've talked about the team in depth. I want to start talking about the season. Let's start. We're we're, we're pushing our way towards the wind shears. We're going to talk about the team. Kevin, I want you to think about what is your most important game for Florida State in this 2022 season. I want the rest of you guys, when Kevin says his answer, I want to see how many of you agree with it. And if some of you don't, that's when I want you to kind of pipe in and tell him why he's wrong and stupid and uninformed and all that fun stuff. Kevin, most important game of 2022 for you for Florida State? At Louisville. Interesting, because I... That was not the one I thought that most people think you're going to say, but I'd like to hear your reasoning for that because I've kind of almost been swayed to think that that's that is actually the most important one. Why do you think that? Well, you got the you got the early LSU game. Okay, so I mean, if you lose Duquesne, that's the most important game. Yeah, right? for like, sure. Just, Let's sure. <laughs> don't even put it in the ether, my friend. Let's not put it out there. <laughs> then you have LSU, which I think um, is probably going to be a closer game than most people. Uh, most most people that aren't following FSU want to believe that it is. I think it's one of those like Notre Dame where you can win or lose it. It really depends on how you respond after it. Um, mm. I think if you win it, it becomes an important game, and you can point to that being the the turning point of you know Mike Norvell's tenure at Florida State. But you know, assuming it's a game that you come short in, um, how do you respond in the first ACC conference game? How do you respond on the road on a I guess you have a, a, a buy in between LSU and Louisville. Um, so how do you how do you take that time? How do you regroup? How do you respond? Last year when they lost a game like Notre Dame, they came back and they lost to Jacksonville State. We're looking oh. to see growth here. Um, so oh. do they grow after after that big game and a big stage, and then play play a team that um, might not have the same status as you know playing LSU in the Superdome? Yeah, the mo- definitely the, the game that most people are looking forward to is that game in New Orleans with LSU. But that Louisville game might actually tell you just how good of a football team that Mike Norvell has. I like Kevin's answer there. Do any of you other five agree with that, that you have Louisville as your most important game or no? I agree with Kev for his reasoning. I think the only yep. devil's advocate is like big picture. The LSU game is big. Well, the other not- four are going to do devil's advocate. You okay. agree with them. Right. Just agree. <laughs> I agree, Kevin. For me, it's LSU because I go into a buy right after it. So it's <laughs> sort of the era of good feelings. If they win, people are thinking much differently about this program. There's a lot of goodwill. Things are going in the right direction. You feel pretty good about it. Now, the thing with Louisville, it's a conference game. That's always obviously pretty important. 
Um, but is FSU playing for a conference championship this year? I don't know. You know, so like the conference game thing doesn't matter as much to me. To me, it's LSU. Like it's, I think that's one of those when you look at the schedule, it's just circled. Everybody's going to care. It's on Sunday night. You're by yourself. It's going to be a hostile environment, even though there's going to be uh-huh. a lot of null fans in the quarter. I, I just, I think it's sort of a uh, significant moment for the program. Uh, Louisville's right there with it, though. I don't really disagree with Kev. I just think LSU is more important. You three, you three, what do you guys think? Louisville, LSU, or other? Nobody said a rivalry game yet, which I think is interesting. It's it's Louisville. It's Louisville for me because you need to start beating those teams again. Yeah, I don't like Satterfield's face. I want to pound it into the. <laughs> I don't think anybody does. Uh, neither Louisville do I, Trey. Neither <laughs> do I. <laughs> Brett and Dave, what do you guys think? What's your most important game of the season, boys? I I think it's LSU going into the season, but I think at the end of the day, and maybe not just for this season, but for like this staff's entirety, like that Florida game at the end of the year on Duke Campbell it could end up being the biggest one determining the future of the program, not just for this season. I like that. And it's no matter what anybody says, obviously with like recruiting, like recruiting as a factor, the games that are front loaded obviously mean so much more just with the way that recruiting has been accelerated, but you're, <laughs> there is something to where just think about how different the off season would have felt. And maybe some of the results, I guess if Florida state would have beaten Florida and gone bowling and it's just the whole, it just started the downward spiral of a lot of stuff that, you know, we don't think at this point could have been changed, but maybe, maybe that's being a little short-sighted. Dane, what do you think? LSU, Louisville, Florida, other? I think it's got to be LSU. Um, you got to start fast. There's big recruiting implications for, you know, your bigger targets like Hakeem Williams. Um, you got to play well in that game. I think you're playing against it's national, you know, prime time. Um, against a really big brand. LSU just won a national championship a few years ago. That's a game that would be a massive, massive to win. So absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I had questions about like Mm -hmm. games that are more winnable than we think games that are harder than we think. Ken, let's just get to the win shares. And I think that's actually going to, let's just reveal this. Cause like I said, I, I do not know as the, as the humble moderator, what everybody else's answers were. They don't know mine. I don't even know what mine end up to. Like I thought I felt smart when I was in the Google doc and maybe I predicted like 11 wins and it's like, yeah, you just kidding. You're a big old dumbass. But yeah, let's pull up the wind shares and then we can kind of talk about, it. I think that that's going to lead some natural conversation for this last 15, 20 minutes of this absolutely glorious stream. You guys are doing great, by the way. Love you all. All right. Yeah. Hold on. Let me get it. Should everything we explain- organized. Explain to people when share. Yes, please go ahead, Brendan. That sounds like oh, you kind of look like a nerd. Go ahead, explain everybody what that means. <laughs> so basically, instead of projecting, uh, this is something that's made made popular at the Nolcast by Bud Elliott, uh, gambling extraordinaire. But basically, instead of saying something's going to be a win or a loss, you assign the percentage chance you think it'll be a win or a loss, and then you'll add that all up. So if you think it's a fifty percent, you know, toss up game, uh, win loss, you go 0.5. If you think it's a hundred percent chance of winning, there's no chance that you lose. Uh, it's 1.0. Uh, so yeah, you basically you're going to add all those up at the end and, and that will be your win share and a more realistic projection uh, of what you think the season will be. There we go. And we add it all up and use math. Go ahead, Kevin. I want to add that uh, the numbers might come out differently than you are hoping they come out. Um, but I would encourage you guys to do this on your own. It's super easy. Go through the schedule, give it a percent chance in a decimal form, Add up your number at the end. You'll probably be surprised at what you get. 
Um, okay. Don't just go win loss win loss. Give it a percent. Add them up at the end. It's and see what you get. It's have fun. a couple of have a couple of oyster cities and do it too. Whoop. Nothing like alcohol to fuel your performance. <laughs> Dane, you didn't put yours in because you're a slacker and just like any normal college student, you think deadlines don't mean anything. So what's your win percentage for this? I'll say point nine nine. So that's fantastic. I, I don't listen. God bless you, Adam and Brett. Uh, after what I saw last year, at Jacksonville State ones don't exist for me anymore in the way you <laughs> share a game. I, I don't. I mean, I yeah, to boy. me, let's let's skip on to LSU. This one we, we think a 98% chance of a win. All right, book it at LSU. Interesting. Zach's not here to talk about his opinion, but the next lowest is Brett. Oh, no, actually, no, Adam. AB. Adam yeah. and okay, Adam and Brett, you two guys tell me why you have it 40% or less that Florida State can win this game. Higher on LSU or lower on Florida State? I, I just don't know if Florida State's there yet. It's kind of just I have to see them go into a big stage and, and win a massive game somewhere that's not at Duke Campbell Stadium before I can say they're going to go on the road and beat a team that probably has some more talent than them, isn't as experience with each other and is and with the coaches but um i think at the end of the day i think they'll be more talented but i do think florida state can win this game if they execute and if jordan travis is healthy for 60 minutes yeah i mean i think that lsu's better um talent wise i mean i think i'm giving them a florida state a decent an okay chance to win that game um you know you're going on you're going on the road whether it's not a home game for uh for LSU per se, um, you're not playing them in Death Valley, but you know you're still going on the road in, in, into uh, into New Orleans to play them. Um, I think they're better than you. There, I think their defensive line is better than your offensive line, probably more so than our defensive line is better than their offensive line, which that makes a big difference for me. Um, they've got some experience at quarterback, though, even though it's not experience in their system and the system that they're running right now. I don't. Know. I just. Uh, I, I. I'm leery to to say the Florida State's going to go beat LSU. Just right. doesn't doesn't sit right. So for the audio, the audio peeps in the car, Kevin has us as a 55 percent chance to win. I have him at a 45 percent. Adam Brown 35 percent. Zach at 33 percent, the lowest. Brendan with a 45 percent chance. Chris thinks it's a true coin flip game. 50 percent chance. Brett has 40 percent. Slacker Dane has. I think I'm going to say 46%. That's my gut. Oh my God, your price is riding it. I love <laughs> yeah, it. Gonna, one dollar. One dollar. Wow, dude, 46%. <laughs> would, would anybody's win shares on this game change based on some of the some of the, the scuttlebutt coming mm. out of LSU's camp? John Emery, their running back, doesn't seem like he's going to play. There was some other kid. I don't know. Brian Kelly runs a loose ship and he sucks, so I don't really care what he says. Um, any, would anybody's win shares change? Yeah, mine would probably go up to a point four. Five percent, that ain't bad. Anybody else? Yeah, I think Emory's change? a big loss for them. He's he was suspended today for the first two games. I guess there's an appeal going on there, uh, something to do with an academic situation, I believe, from last year. Oh, that's um, a surprise. That's I, think a he's big, I think he's a big time player for them. I think that's a, a pretty significant loss. I'm not. I don't buy the Noah Keen hype train. Okay. Kevin, you feel a little bit more confident. Just quickly, why? You actually think that if you were set in the line at Vegas, you'd have Florida State as a favorite. Yeah, I think people are underestimating first first year, first game jitters by a by a head coach. Um I I think that they still don't have a solid answer at quarterback. They've been kind of playing musical chairs. Now 
Um, Jaden Daniels is stepping in and looks to be the starter. I, I don't think he's a very capable passer of the football. Um, I think the biggest questions for me are, have FSU's linebackers grown enough to be able to contain him? That was a big problem for Florida State last year and potentially uh, could be a death sentence if they're, they're unable to contain uh, LSU's quarterback. Um, and can you can you block the defensive line long enough? Um, although Florida State's gotten pretty used to being able to, to kind of scheme around that, I think I think the two teams are actually more comparable talent wise than than you'd want than you'd expect. Um, interesting with the way recruiting's been over the past couple of years. That's it. That's an interesting I, take. I would also say that Notre Dame is was ten times better of a team. I think Notre Dame last year would have beat this LSU team by. Uh, two touchdowns uh, potentially. So um, okay, yeah. I think the fact that we went toe to toe with Notre Dame last year, we're a little bit better this year. They're going to be in their first game in a big environment that is technically an away game in the sense of how you have to prepare and how you have to travel to it. Um, I, I think we come out uh, as. I think to me, you need to see that you are a coach in his third year at a program and go in and be the more disciplined, more organized team and win this football game. I love it. I want Brian Kelly's face stop sign red by the end of that game. Let's move on to Louisville. Louisville. All right. Louisville. Louisville. All right. Kevin has us 40% chance to win. I have us at a 40% chance to win. Adam has us at a 40% chance to win. <laughs> Zach. Okay. 51%. <laughs> so he thinks Florida love State's going to win that game. Brendan at 40%, Chris at 50%, another true coin flip. Brett at 30%. He's a little bit more negative, and like I understand the reasons why. Dane, what do you have us at? I'll say 50. 50. So coin flip. We have right now uh, us collectively, minus Dane's answer, which we didn't have in the Google Doc. It's still fine. We, we collectively as a staff think 36% chance to win that game. Guys, I mean, Brett, go ahead. You you talk about this game. You're not feeling confident. Is it Malik Cunningham? Is it kind of Scott Satterfield having having Mike Norvell's number? Is it the emotional dump off after this really, really huge LSU game? I think it's a combination of the emotional dump off, even though there's a bye week after. I mean, it's a Friday night game. And to be honest, when I was doing this, I kind of have P- I had PTSD from the last trip we made to Louisville. And <laughs> <laughs> it it helps, dude. History would can't repeat itself. I respect. It was that. really cold, and Brett didn't pack jeans hey, like a, an adult. Okay. I, don't, I don't need pants. I don't need pants. Whoa, yeah, we, yeah, we don't play pants. <laughs> we don't play no stinking pants. Chris, you feel a little bit more confident though. I mean, I, really tough game, man. Really tough to contain quarterback. Definitely going to test your linebacker mobility, but you feel a little bit more confident with Florida State going on the road. Why is that? I just don't have a high opinion of Louisville's defense. I don't think it's particularly very good, uh, nor intimidating. Now, Malik Cunningham's the X factor. If FSU can't contain him, it's a big issue. And FSU played them horrendously for half last year. I just, my main concern about Louisville, truthfully, is if Mm -hmm. FSU is coming off a win or a very deflating loss, they have the 13 days basically to marinate on, and then they play on a Friday night. That's going to be a red out, very active atmosphere. I'm interested in response more than anything, but I'm not of the opinion that Louisville some juggernaut this year. I don't truthfully get all the love and affection for Louisville. I think Louisville and FSU are extremely comparable teams. When I was doing preseason ACC Atlantic, picking the order, I very much felt like they were one in the same. Okay, good. I, and I think that that's not being taken account of enough. People think that we're going on the road and beating a better team, and you actually think going on the road, teams of similar quality, 
with just some weaknesses in different areas. Anybody else want to say their piece on this before we move on to the next one? No, I think they've got a pretty good, pretty tough matchup that week before they play FSU, and they got to come on to a short week, I believe. Who do they play? Who do they a Friday, play? This is a Friday night game in Louisville, correct? Yeah. Who yes. do they play the week before? They play UCF. I believe. Oh, Brandon. The yeah, they do. Your people. So, UCF's so going to soften them up for Florida State. You guys that's are right. That's right, dude. The Ska Boys going to do Brandon's God's master work. plan finally coming to fruition. All right. Interesting. Let's move on to the next one which is, I don't have the schedule. And thank you, Chad P., who also says UCF. Boston College, Boston. Kevin, 65% chance to win. Trey, 65% chance to win. <laughs> Adam, 65% chance to win. Triple option, total alignment. I love it. Brand awareness. Zach, 70% chance to win. Suck it, crab boys. Brandon, 65% chance to win. Chris at 60. Brett at 80%. Big boy, Dane. Uh, I like 67%. I think it's a good number. <laughs> the yeah. average did not mess it up, dude. You're the oh best. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, with cooking brain, Dane's number in, we have a collective 67% chance, which is just over <laughs> the two-thirds. We think Florida State has a two-thirds chance to beat BC at home. Um, who hasn't talked in a while? Kevin. No. No. Uh, yeah, Kevin. Tell me why. 65%. I mean, you and I think alike. I mean, we, we just don't think BC is just not talented enough to scare Florida State at this point. Well, we're kind of at the, the lower end of the, the wind spectrum here. So I think I'm going to argue that Phil Jerkovic is, is a pretty good quarterback. Um, I think that Boston College is on the up. Their, their head coach is doing good things there. Um, I think they're going to be tougher this year than they were last year uh, as a team. Uh, but thankfully, you get them at home, and that's why I think you've got like that 15% edge. Uh, yeah, the only thing that gives me pause is really Jerkovich. Anybody else see anything from Boston College that scares them at all? Chris, Brandon, Brett, Dane, anything from Boston College that stands out to you at this point other than the quarterback? I, I don't know if it scares me more the opposite. is, And I'm blanking on the name right now, but uh, Boston College lost an all-ACC caliber offensive lineman to Christian Mahogany. That's it. Yeah, so you know, that's, oh, that's a, a nice name. That's a rich name. I do they still that. have flowers, that wide receiver? They do. He stayed uh, yeah. despite some – That's a concern. Uh, yeah, he's really good. He gave Florida State issues last year. Um, so Wait, I want to know why Brett's so confident. Yeah, Brett, 80%. tell him. I mean, I just think that Florida State's better than they were last year by a good bit. And, I mean, I thought they should have they should have won that game at BC last year by like 20 points if it wasn't for the refs and some other stuff that happened. And I think BC's probably the same as they were last year or just a little bit better. And then they have to come here and – play you in Doak. I just think that's a game that you can feel comfortable about. I like that. Sound, 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 sound to me. Kev, let's go to that next game. Wake Forest. I'm very interested to dude, Brett, that one sticks out, but maybe that's a post Sam Hartman. That's interesting. Um, Kevin, 60%, me, 55%. I'm not like super duper confident. Adam is 65%. Okay, so you think Wake Forest and BC are analogous. That's interesting. Zach at 70%. Oof, I like that. Confident. Brendan, 55%. Same as me. Chris at 49%. Ooh. We give Wake, Wake the slight favorite, and I get it. Brett at 80%. The average right now is 62%. So we think Florida State's going to win the game. Dane, what is your what is your pick? Well, this varies a ton Adam on whether you're a child. <laughs> this varies a ton on whether Sam Hartman's available or not, right? But um, yes, I think it's more likely right now that he's not. I guess um, I'd say I'll say eighty. I'll okay. say eighty-five. So you, 
85 this last year. Yeah. Um, who is Chris? Talk about was that number with or without Hartman? That, and that's what, what the think. expectation at Hartman is with them. Um, okay. if Hartman's not it? with them, I would have FSU probably around 60 to 65. Man, that's a huge jump, but I totally get it. I understand. I this I, team I, this team beat the hell out of FSU last yeah, year. I mean, this, FSU's worst game last season was this game. It's the one time all season that it looked like a team was pushing them to quit, basically. And uh, there were a whole lot of issues. Now, Sam Hartman was a big reason for a lot of those issues. If he's not around, it really changes the dynamics of it all. But I'm going with the belief that you know Sam Hartman will be back for them at that point. I think they're a really good football team with Sam Hartman. You, you also have to take into account that Wake Forest is a system. It's not a quarterback, right? Right. Sam Hartman was a plug-and-play guy. He came in and he was good because it's a system. It works. It's something that it's it's like the air raid where you can just plug in new quarterbacks and they'll be successful. So um, I, I, I don't know. Adam doesn't I don't know. like that comparison. <laughs> Kind of just have to I get mean, the, the air raid in there. I feel like I no, I agree. I agree with you, Kevin, because I'll say that my fifty-five percent even had it without Sam Hartman. So I do agree that it is a system. However, putting a quarterback in without game reps, five or six or ten years, however Hartman Long has been playing there, I think that even <laughs> though it is a he system, hasn't. he's he's going to be confident. He's going it's going to be competent, but it's definitely not going to be the same. I would say that if I expected Sam Hartman to be playing, I, I might have Florida State at like. 45 48% like I don't know I just like I said Wake Forest is very it was one of the few games last year we just got smacked around it wasn't a one score game it wasn't close it was never close um I do still expect Florida State to win but I'll I'll five turners five turners have a hell of a big play in that uh yeah, but score. Wake, Wake Forest also had some fluky turnovers. The bobbled interception early on, which then Florida State gave it right back up, and Jamie Robinson knocked the ball out pretty close to Wake Forest, scoring on a uh, a long reception. So. They also didn't have a very they also didn't have a very good defense last year, and I don't know how improved it's going to be this year. Um, I, I think that team's got more holes than maybe some are letting letting on here. What's the? It, Just my opinion. Is that a lot? Their best offensive lineman from last year, too. Was it yeah. Zach Tom? Yeah. They were extremely old last year with like the, the COVID seniors. Is that something where did they find some other loophole where those guys can stay, or is Wake Forest replacing a lot of? I just I feel like that team, it's like BYU, it's a team full of 37 year olds, right? Like, do, do we finally get to play a younger Wake Forest team for the first time in a millennia? No, no. I think they're older, of course. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they'd be described as young. The cocoon football team. Literally, All right, let's absolutely. continue to move on. We still think the Florida State sixty-two percent average for us to win at NC State. Oh, dude, <laughs> these are some fun numbers. Thirty-five uh, percent. Kevin has. I have us at forty percent. I am optimistic. Adam has us at fifteen percent, basically a guaranteed loss. Zach has us at thirty-three percent. Brendan at thirty percent. Chris at forty percent. He's with me. We're the two positive ones. Brett has a monumental 10% chance there, to win. There is no nuance for Brett. He is, <laughs> he is high or low. All or nothing. Between. I like it. So I Dave, really wouldn't put much that, that much thought into it. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Don't, don't say that, dude. You might. Dane's going to be at 33.7%. Yeah. We're, 29, <laughs> we're, we're, we're at 29% as a group. What do you have, Dane? What are you at? Uh, I'll, I'll put at a quarter. I'll do 25 25. So it actually bring the average down a little bit. So we think Florida state's about like a one in four ish chance to win this game. 
Uh, Brett and Adam, I want you guys to talk about because not only are you expecting Florida State to lose, to me, you guys are expecting at least like a double-digit point loss. Why? Uh, they don't play well there. They've never played well there. I do agree um, with the boogeyman of that of that I of think, snake. Pit. I think Leary, I think Leary's really good quarterback. They always manage to have these big wide receivers that make plays for them. Um, and then I think their defense matches up with Florida State's offense well. I think their D-line's really good and their linebackers are really good. And that's gonna play to stopping the run. And I think that that's what Florida State's strength's gonna be. I think uh NC State's gonna be able to take that away at, at home. Uh, it just, yeah, I just don't see that as a as an overly winnable game for them right now. Yeah, and I respect that. I just, to me, with because I, I think we're going to lose too. I just think that Florida State's so much better that I think that I use my win share to kind of like describe like if we're losing NC State as opposed to losing to them by twenty. I think we lose to them by like six or something. You know what I mean? Um, Brett, you think we're just going to get just just paintbrushed down there, just absolutely demolished? I don't think they're going to get blown out. I just don't. We do ten percent chance, bro. This is like little giants and cowboys without the ice box. <laughs> you don't get that reference. Of going That's to NC reference. State and winning from things we've seen at NC State in the past, and I think NC State might be the best team in the ACC. I respect it. Yeah, that place. I honestly, if there's any opposing arena where you can put like the the soft subjective factors if we play like dog crap there every year this is the one place i hate playing in raleigh the fat guy dancing in 2012 still haunts my dreams for the rest of my life uh anybody else want to expound upon this game chris you're pretty you're pretty um yeah dude that's pretty good chris is doing the rodeo um any, anybody else want to expound chris you and i are pretty comp but we we all we all expect florida state to lose this game right yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. With, I think it's a competitive game that FSU yeah. comes out on the wrong side of. Okay, let's just move on then. We're all in pretty much agreement. Clemson. All right. Kevin has us at a 40% chance. I have us at a 30% chance. So I actually think this game is tougher than NC State. Just I think talent. The might actually put it together. Adam at 20%, Zach at 33%, Brendan at 35%, Chris at 33%, Brett at 3%, Adam 20%. No chance, right? You don't think just talent advantage, Clemson's defensive line, what scares you about this? Yeah, I don't know. I probably maybe should have been 25%. Yeah, I just, again, I think that they're, I think that last year was a, a little bit of an outlier for DJ. I think he takes a step forward. And if not, by this point in the season, we could be seeing Kate Klubnik come in. Don't shake your head, no, Kev. They're running all air raid this talk, year. Let me talk about this guy. <laughs> all right, I think you could be see could see Kate Klubnik at this point in the year um, if DJ hasn't taken a step forward. Uh, their defense is really good. Really, I went twenty percent. Probably probably should have gone twenty five percent. I do think Florida State's got a shot at home. I just uh, yeah, it's just not a matchup I love. Okay, Kevin, go ahead. Give me that slander, but be kind to the people of the islands because I am a big pro Polynesian person. So go easy. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I would honestly, if it what if you change the name on this on this slide, I would probably give it a higher percentage. I think Brent, I think Brent Minables has been the de facto head coach there for a long time. You lost mm, him. That's a good point. I yeah. think um, I think DJ Uangalale is, I don't know bottom three ACC Atlantic quarterback. Um, I think he's not good. I don't think he was ever really good. Um, 
Uh, he can't throw the ball to the left side of the field, which is a weird problem to have. Um, his footwork is bad. Uh, I think <laughs> he's just not a very good quarterback. And yes, I think, Queen. Yes. I think, I think Clemson will win games because their defense keeps them in games like last year. Um, I think what's interesting to see, uh, their offense might get better because their offensive coordinator last year was one of the worst offensive coordinators I've ever seen. Um <laughs> That's but a that's the current head coach of Virginia right now, right? They're they're their elite defense kept them in games. Now you've taken away the guy that coordinates their elite defense. They're gonna coast on talent for a couple of years. I think Florida State has a chance here at home to pop them in the mouth early, get a oh, few dude, chunk you're plays. Me, you're getting me amped, dude. This is the house of cards. This is when that big but, dumb idiot over there, it all falls down for him. I can't I, wait. I also grew up with Clemson not being any good, and I'm not buying the hype that Dabo's the glue holding this team together once Venables walks out of that building. All right, Dane. Now you get the you get the the honor of getting to do your win share after hearing Adam and Kevin with <laughs> diametric opposing views. What do you think, bud? Uh, I'll say 25, like for instance. Oh man, I don't know. I like Kevin's argument. I thought that was <laughs> that was nice. That was about as fired up as you'll get, Kevin. Uh, I can't wait yeah. to review that film with you. Okay, so around like 32 percent at throwing Dane in there, we think like 30 percent is chance to win. All right, move on to the next one. That was fantastic. Georgia Tech. I mean, Kevin's at 70. I'm at 70%. Adam's at 80. Zach's at 80. Brennan's at 80. Chris is at 66. Brett is at 90. <laughs> Dane, you are at 90. Hell yeah, dude. I love the way you guys do win shares. It's the best. Um, I think this is a pretty easy win. The only, I mean, Brennan, I, I don't know. Uh, you haven't talked in a smidge, even though Chris is at 66%. He's got the most eye popping one. But Brendan and Chris, you guys go back and forth a little bit on this game. What do you think the story of this yeah. game is? I don't even know if Jeff Collins is even going to be there with his like the risers in his shoes to look taller on the sideline. Yeah, I should I be higher. Been... There you go. I mean, there you go. I mean, just being honest, I should have been higher. Like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> Dude, Google Docs or so. Okay, so never mind. There goes in the interesting discussion. Um, we're going to crush that little man. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next one. <laughs> I, I like I like that Trey said I hadn't talked in a while, and then Chris steamrolled me, and I just <laughs> not talking. I, dude, well, you're, you know, you're, sure you're gonna get you're gonna get next, no matter what it is. Oh I'm mean, you get you get first crack, B dog. All right. Oh. oh, and it's Brendan with Miami. This is great. Ooh, mine's not mine's, mine's up there. Okay, Chris and I we're smart though. Um, Chris and I were Kevin. Yeah. Kevin at forty percent. I am at 53%. I got really granular for this one. Uh, Oh, wit one. Thanks, dude. A moderating clinic. I don't think so, but that's very nice. Adam Brown, 35%. Zach True coin flip at 50. Brendan at 35%, which I know pains you because you have you and Kevin, man. You guys are you're so you're so calm and smooth and collected, but dude, the Miami people just get, bring it out yeah, of you, and I love bring, it. They get under my skin, man. Chris, you're with me, 50%. Brett, you think, no way, Jose. Uh, we're going to lose this one, 20% chance. Dane, you were at? I want to say 42. 42, Ooh. that's it, my boy. No, yeah, that's it. We're getting down, single digits. So that brings us to around like a 41% chance. Close game at Miami, The one of the two times the entire year the stadium's packed. Brendan, you still think we're going to lose 35%. What do you think about that? I feel like it goes against your cane killer persona. 
Yeah, but I can I can step step aside, put my biases aside, and uh, really, it's it's Tyler Van Dyke for me. I mean, that thing that he is, he proved late last season that he's legitimate, a legitimate NFL caliber quarterback. I think if you have that in the fold, you're always going to have a chance, especially at home. Uh, so yeah, I, I just listen. I, there are concerns for Miami. Yeah, how do they replace Charleston Rambo uh, as the wide receiving core? Apparently, hasn't sounded like it's been all that good in the preseason. So, so there's certainly like a chance for Florida state here, but I think if you have a, a quarterback who can sling the ball, you're always going to be competitive. And, and I think Miami has that. Yeah. Um, I don't know, dude. I think they're a worse team this year than they were last year. It almost reminds me of kind of like a UNC Sam Howell situation to where like really good quarterback. And I don't know what the rest defensive line depth is weird. I think Mario Cristobal is a really, really good recruiter and I am not sold on him at all as an in-game coach. Uh, am I being too optimistic? Anybody else here share my optimism for that game? I actually have I, us as a slight fit, three percent favorite. I kind of wish I was more optimistic. I wish my high, yeah. my number had been higher. I I think that's closer to a 50-50 game. Um, especially if it was earlier in the season. The fact that it's later, Miami got, might get a little bit of. I think Miami's going to get steamrolled by Texas A and M, lose a couple games at the beginning of the season, and then kind of have Crack to. A I think bit. they'll. I think they'll recover a little bit by the time that we we get them, but. Um, I think I got spooked by the at symbol a little bit. Okay, no, that's fair, dude. But they it, don't it, really have a home field advantage, so it doesn't matter. Uh, they will, they will for that. They will crash at you State. and all that fun Not stuff. Not when they've lost four games already. Brett, you think pretty highly of this Miami team, though, right? No, I just, I just. What are you doing? Do what the hell are you doing, dude? I didn't want to be too optimistic. You set your expectations low. Good things happen. No, I'm the right. king of living in the middle. Brett is the king of the extremes. I, but I like it that this one was like, I don't think they're that good. I just want to surprise myself. I want to have a good <laughs> and that's called self-care. And that's why I respect you, Mr. Nevitt. Dane, what do you think about this Miami team? You're pretty, you're pretty knowledgeable on the personnel of other teams, which you and I will explore further, teaser, mm. teaser, and some mm. further programming. But Dane, what do you think about the personnel of this Miami team? Yeah, I think um, I think they did really well in the transfer portal. They could have had a ton more more glaring holes than they than they do now because of the transfer portal. Like especially in the interior interior of the defensive line, they get Akeem Metador. Um, I think he was maybe an All Big Twelve guy um, on the inside, and you get I'm blanking on his name, the Maryland transfer. Uh, Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. He's had a really good camp, apparently. Um, I think they've they gotten like three or four transfer interior guys. Um, so we'll see on that. I think they have a really talented secondary. So we'll see where their defense is. Um, Brendan was saying he's not sure of the, um, the talent at wide receiver. I don't think they need to be super talented when you have Tyler Van Dyke. And they have a really good stable of running backs too. And I, I do think point. the wide receivers are pretty good. Um, Xavier Strepo should take a step up. You have uh, Keyshawn Smith. He was kind of a breakout freshman last year, I believe. So we'll see. Damn, now I feel stupid. Okay, let's move on to the next one. That was very cogent. At Syracuse, uh, Kev at 65. I'm at 70. Adam at 70. Zach at 80. Brendan 65. Chris 75. Brett at 80. 72% average. Dane, what's yours? Uh, I'll say 75 yeah, bring that up. We're like 73, 74. I don't think this game is really worth discussing too much. I think it's a fairly certain victory. Anybody else disagree before we move on? I probably would have been a little bit higher if they hadn't have made it so freaking close last year. 
That's fair. I just think there's no way that they can defend that trader kid if he's still their quarterback as bad as they did last year, dude. That was, yeah, I mean, that that was, was, path- that was a pathetic showing. Yeah, I, I think this is a game where you notice FSU's linebackers have improved a lot if you're comparing year over year. Yeah, I think so, too, and I think that'll be very obvious. Moving on. Louisiana. Uh, Kevin at 80%. I am at 85%. Adam at 90. Zach 90. Brendan 80. Chris 75. Brett 90. Dane, what are you? 94.33 repeat. I'll say uh, 0.8. <laughs> 80%. Uh, yes, we're, we're thinking like 80-ish percent chance Florida State wins that game. No, no Jacksonville State situation. We think they handle a team that was very good last year. However, got raided by their old head coach who went to Florida. <laughs> Uh, which pissed off the the pepper people down there, the swamp things, um, the Rajon Cajuns. We expect Don't you, no. Billy Nippio. Yeah, that was a terrible accent. Thank um, you. <laughs> okay, that was better. That was actually pretty good. I'm being harsh. Um, that was good, Brendan. Anything? I, let's move on. I want to talk about the next one. I think. Wait, before we move on, I think this is a trap game. I think this is a potential one you need to watch out for. This Louisiana team isn't as bad as you know you assume because they're G five. It's a game you need to watch out for. Um, not one necessarily that I expect to lose, but one that, you know, it's it's right kind of right before some big games. So you, you got to watch out for a game like that. I, I don't get it, man. You schedule a team like this before Florida. Just what? Just schedule an easier one. I don't understand, like, scheduling these, like, teams that are actually fairly decent at their level of play. I, I don't get it. I That's a scheduling thing for yeah. me. I don't get it. Like, you're going to – this is your tune-up game. Beat their ass. Pick a cupcake. Like, I'm – You'll, like, I'm you'll actually have to prep for – you'll have to prep for this game. Yeah. Like, it, it won't be – there's a chance it won't be a cakewalk. So yeah, it I, will I, not be a cakewalk. It's a decent team. Yeah, it's just like a competitive Sun Belt yeah. conference, and I think they have a nine-win uh, total on the season projected. So it should be a good team. Great. Stupid. I don't get for it. their level um, of competition. Yeah, I don't like. I don't like those type of games that are scheduled. All right, let's move to the next one. I think the final one. The last U- one. F. Kevin, fifty-eight percent. I am at 55%. Adam Brown, true coin flip, 50% versus the Gators. Zach at 60. Brendan at 50. Chris at 49. A slight, the slightest of underdogs. He couldn't do it. He couldn't bring it. Brett at 60%. Very confident from Brett, but also very measured. Not not like a 95% or anything fun like that. That's also keeping the expectations low, so it's a more pleasurable viewing experience. Dane Draper, what are you? I'll say 50 50%. 50%. So we're around we're around a coin flip. So we've got Florida. We've got a team with a very talented, very athletic quarterback, huge question marks at receiver. Um I don't I'm not as super familiar. I know Gervon Dexter is a very very good player. They've got some they got some interesting athletes in the secondary. I don't know if it's a complete team, but then again, we lost to the same team uh, without a head coach last year. So that was pretty rough. However, in a very close game, I'm going to let this, this is the last game of the season that we're talking about win share wise. I'm going to open it up free discussion. Who has the strongest opinion about this game that would like to say something? Who thinks they have the most cogent argument on how to define this game? Well, I'll talk about why I was around the coin flip. I don't know what the hell to expect of Florida. Me neither, I especially man. don't know what to expect 12 games into the season. So, like, for me, it was a super difficult one to forecast because I don't feel like you can put it on paper and say that's what it's going to be the last week in November. 
I think I think Florida's in a weird place. I personally think that they're probably not in as severe of a place as we were in 2017, but I think that there there's some rot in that program that uh, kind of hasn't been adequately recognized uh, by probably probably by the fan base. Um, I, you've seen Napier make some comments here and there that he thinks there's no talent on the roster and anybody should show up, but um, I I don't think Florida's a particularly healthy program right now. Um, I don't think that uh, they were well managed these past couple of years, and it'll be interesting to see if I I don't I don't think they'll have a good rebound year and with a first year head coach. And I agree with that too. I mean, there was some now they're recruiting at a pretty high level right now, but some of those Dan Mullen classes were. But there was a lot of recruiting like for the fan base, a lot of guys that they knew weren't going to be takes a lot of questionable decisions, a lot of guys that flamed out because of character issues. So I don't really know the entire depth of talent on that roster. I think they could be very thin and they are as much as Florida state is going to go as far as Jordan Travis takes them. I think that Florida is an even more extreme example with an Anthony Richardson. Now you could obviously argue that Anthony Richardson is much, definitely he's more physically talented than Jordan Travis, but the, I don't know, man. I like it. Like I'm with Chris. I don't know what to expect. I, I feel better about Florida State in this game. Does anybody else have anything they want to add? Like I think it's just an unknown. Um, and I think having a team that's more experienced with a veteran leader head coach and Mike Norvell compared to first year Napes, uh, I give Florida State the edge. I kind of wish I, I would, actually would have been in that point six range. I think I wish. I feel like I bump it up a bit. Higher. Yeah, I don't. I don't like what their defense is going to be after. You know, you mentioned Gerben Dexter. They were legitimately disappointed they didn't get the Jackson kid uh, that transferred to Miami from Maryland. That was a guy that they felt like they needed to have to plug in the middle of their defense, and they didn't land that. I think they've got some holes right down the center of their defense. We'll see what Anthony Richardson is. I know he's projected and people Hi, brother. High, but First round. It hasn't happened yet. So, I mean, at this point, it's all just potential. Um it sounds like their wide receiver core is pretty banged up. I, they, they could be in trouble this year in a long season in the SEC. Okay. I like that. Boys, let's get to the very end. I will say that let's, I want to see the win projections and then maybe we could do something fun. I think somebody mentioned in the chat, maybe what bowl you think Florida State's going to go to. Um, let's just go. So that's our average. Boom. Seven on the dot. <laughs> Ooh. The aggregated percentages, we have 98% Duquesne. This is the whole team together, minus Dane, who didn't understand the assignment, is drunk all the time, <laughs> high on peyote, doesn't check his phone. Kid is just a legitimate menace. Keep everybody locked up when he's in your town. Just kidding, Dane. You you. You're a nice, straight kid. Yep, doesn't want stinky feet. Just, stinky just, a, feet. just a mess. <laughs> Cats and dogs living together. It's just absolute pandemonium. So what did I say? Duquesne, 98%. Uh, we think as a team at Louisville, 43% at, uh, no, at LSU, 43% at Louisville, 42% Boston college, 67% wake four, 62% in state, 29% Clemson, 32% tough little two game stretch there. Georgia tech, 77% in your face. Geoff Collins. Ooh, Chris, if uh, Florida state wins, you got to shave your beard. According to that commenter. Miami, 40% at Syracuse, 72% at Louisiana, 84%, and UF, a 55% chance to win using the very, very scientific and mathematical system of wind shares. We, as a Knowles 24-7 unit, 
have Florida State as a seven and five football team. And I think we're playing in the Duke's Mayo Bowl, brother. And I am more excited about that than I have been for a bowl in a long time. <laughs> what do we think? We feel good about seven. I've I feel like I've always said seven. I felt like seven was the number that's expected. And I, I also I would consider seven a pretty good season, in my opinion. I know that that might also be against the grain to a lot of fans, but I think a seven win season to me, I go, cool. We're on track. Now let's now let's really hit some big numbers. When I was doing this exercise, I felt like I shortchanged myself on some of the projections. Higher so low. Like, uh, low, um, which is the way I'm always going to kind of veer towards until they do it. Um, I think my number was 699 when I added it up. It was right in that ballpark. It was just shy of seven. So is that seven? I think eight is a legitimate possibility. I feel comfortable at seven. It falls in line with what I was thinking when I walked off the practice field the last day of the preseason. We watched. Um, you know, their, their ceiling is probably a little bit higher than even seven or eight, but I don't know if they come near achieving that. So you think you're a seven with closer to like eight being more reasonable than six type of guy. Cause as a, as a staff, yeah. we think seven more likely that we're going to get, well, actually, no, I guess one, I don't know. I, I don't know. How that I think, works. I think there's right four the games that are very winnable Four games that are, or I'm sorry, four games. They should certainly win four games that are very winnable Four games that are probably a little tougher to achieve. So, yeah. You guys feel the same way? We're all like in anybody whose personal win projection is like, nah, man, I got us at six or no, I got us at eight or nine. Anybody whose personal win projection in their head doesn't match up with seven at all. Or are we all pretty much, um, we all pretty much in concert here. Yeah, Brendan. Cool. I mean, Brendan really <laughs> stirred up a hornet's nest the other day on the message board. So did he? I feel that like doesn't he sound right right now. Yeah. I feel like he's yeah. got to say something. And what was, what did I say? I said it, I was closer to with, six wins than eight, which yeah, was totally yeah. reasonable. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm at 6.75. Like, I just, yeah, I mean, this is a, I'm with Chris that there's upside for, like, if, if they won nine games, I wouldn't be, I'd be pleasantly surprised. I wouldn't think Dude, I would crazy. be, I would be really surprised, actually. Uh, I really would be. They have enough talent. Like, I don't think there's going to be a game where they're going to be outclassed or totally outmatched this year. I think they should be competitive at every single game uh, whether they can you know win every single game and obviously i don't think so but whether yeah i don't think there's going to be a time where you just look at like last year against clemson i mean they were fortunate to be in that game just by how dominant clemson was defensively right. in fact you were able to keep that close i don't know if that exists on this year's schedule like if they get blown out if they lost by 14 points to anyone i think i'd be kind of surprised or thought it was kind of fluky um so this is a team that i think has a pretty high floor uh, the ceiling does exist for it to be potentially really good. But yeah, if I'm just being honest and, and realistic with it, like I think between six and seven is what Vegas has. Uh, that's what my gut tells me too. I think that's ultimately where we're at as a program right now. So seven wins would be, as you said, Trey, just a, a positive step in the right direction. Maybe it doesn't wow anyone, but I think that's ultimately where I land is at seven and five. So I, I think that um, I, Keith Gordon brought up a good point that seven is the average, uh, but there's a lot of factors that play into this, right? You start a winning streak and things could start to change, right? So I've momentum. I've kind of highlighted uh, in this image, if you're listening to the podcast, I'll, I'll do my best to describe it. Uh, but there seem to be four games that are, are wins that we're, we feel comfortable as a staff should be wins. Duquesne, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Louisiana. Then there are two games that are we think are losses, right? You we're, you're walking into NC state and you're playing a Clemson team. Those, those two games that, so you're four and two at that point. 
every other game is within a 10, 10% spread either way. And so there, there, there are six swing games on this schedule. You go and you beat LSU close, you beat L- Louisville close, and you're looking at a team that has momentum and can potentially win some of those swing games. You have it, or you see a team that loses LSU, loses Louisville. You see a team getting down on themselves, and now those swing games are looking a lot more difficult to 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 surmount. So I think the fact that we're coming to an average of seven is one thing, but I mean, this is college football. Michigan State shouldn't have won ten or eleven games, whatever they won last year. They they weren't that good of a football team. They just won a few games by the skin of their teeth, and it changed everything. Right? Why not us? There's also fight for those inches. Injury luck. There's you know one position going down to a point where you know God forbid Tatum Bethune gets hurt, no linebacker gets hurt. Suddenly that position goes from being something you feel much better about to something that's worse than it was a season ago when it wasn't any good. So yeah, things like that they happen. What if interesting? What if Florida State? Yeah, a ton of variants. What if Florida State does? go three and zero to start the year. Like what becomes the upside of the team then? Like you're talking about 10 wins being reasonable, right? Like that does exist. If you, if you start three and oh, yeah, I, I think you've got a bunch that's going to be extremely confident. They're going to fully believe in the things they've worked towards and they've worked really hard to become a much better football program. I think three and zero would have them sit in a pretty good place, but then you always got to worry about, you know, who would be next? What BC, you got to worry about that essentially being a trap game at that point. Um, yeah, then you start but taking that, that's growth. That's what they've got to show to be a better program. You know, they talk about response, response, response. There's response to good things happening too. It's not just when bad things happen. Yeah, that's all uncharted territory, right? Like even against mm-hmm. Florida last year, uh, you had some positive momentum based on how you were ending the year and there was something that you were playing for that was important. I had someone on the staff tell me in the offseason, like reflect on that game. It was pretty obvious watching it. They're like, we lost our damn minds <laughs> like in that game because yeah. we were playing, we were playing for something different than we'd ever played for than anyone in this program had, had played for in, in recent history. So, uh, yeah, it will, it'd be interesting if Florida State can find a way to you know, beat LSU and then go up to Louisville and start off 3-0. and uh, It changes the dynamic of uh, the outlook of the season, but you're obviously dealing with the uh, uncharted territory as well. I agree. Well, boys, if there's one thing that's not uncharted territory, it's the depth, quality, and consistency of the coverage here at Knowles 24-7. That's about as charted territory as it gets because it's always the tippy top of the pinnacle of the mountain. Uh, I would like to wrap this thing up. Is there anything any of you beautiful, bright, fresh faces would like to say before I uh, before I wrap this up and do a little bow? Uh, thank you for joining us instead of watching Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be can underwhelming. You stream it after, right? Some people want to be there to tweet about it live and ruin it for everyone else. It's just, yeah. Well, <laughs> for you guys, for you steady few, for our Starks, winter is coming and it came. <laughs> it came everywhere all over this live stream. So thank you very much for staying with us. You guys are the best. We love you. If you're listening audio-wise, you're the best oh too. God. Thank you for everything. I've made everybody cringe, which is how I judge a successful <laughs> ending. So for Trey Roll, the cringe master, for Kevin, for Brennan, for Adam, for Brett, for Chris, for Dane, I am Trey Roland. Thank you for sticking with us. We're going to have a long, fruitful season, and we are going to be with you guys every step of the way. Keep chopping. Happy love you.